Welcome everybody uh, to today's Be Brown Bag. I'm honored to be hosting Rebecca Fitzhugh. Uh, Rebecca, I know you're a, you're one of the newest VCDXs. Could you tell us your number? Could you tell us a little bit about yourself? Uh, sure. My name is Rebecca. I'm VCDX number 243. I uh, passed uh, this, this past November. Um, I do consulting work, primarily consulting architect. Uh, I'm self-employed, so I do whatever pays the bills. Awesome. And today we're going to be talking uh, VCAP 6 uh, DCV uh, design. This is going to be objective 1.3. Um, some little things that we always cover on our episodes. Uh, getting on the conversation, we are very active on Twitter. You can use the Twitter hashtag, uh, hashtag BrownBag, uh, so to send any questions or use any of the GoToMeeting, uh, you know, questions and uh, raise your hand and stuff like that if you want to interject at any time in, in, the, in the presentation. But you can also send questions later when you're watching the recording and it's you have a very high chance that one of the presenters or, you know, well, another person can help you out with anything you have. Uh, you can see uh, Rebecca's uh, Twitter handle here on the screen. I'm your host, Ariel Sanchez. That's my handle as well. Uh, please note that we have several uh, channels we have the APAC, EMEA, LATAM, and US. Most people are familiar with the US one. That's the mo most popular one. But sometimes we use another channel, uh, such as today's occasion, where we actually grab the EMEA channel uh, and tweak that out so that it will work for our presenter. Um, and that's just because we want to make sure that we get the best talent possible making uh, this uh, series. Speaking of which, we are looking for presenters. Um, as you can see, we have some open slots. We can move the, around the dates. We actually are probably going to do the objective 1.2. We're going to do it at a later date. We'll move it around. But if you want to sign up as a presenter, just let us know. Rebecca is also part of the B. Bramberg crew, so you can not only ask her questions, but also ask her, hey, when can I, when can I present? And do such a great job as you are going to do today. All right, with that, I'm going to send over the control of the presenter screen over to Rebecca. One sec. All right, let me minimize all my inappropriate stuff. Okay, so uh, starting with Objective 1.3 today. So Objective 1.3, if you've taken a look at the blueprint, uh, it is determine risks, requirements, constraints, and assumptions. Okay, so there's three main skills that they're looking for with this particular objective, uh, and that is, of course, what's the difference between these three con or excuse me, four concepts, if I can count. So, what is a risk? What is a requirement? What is a constraint? What's the assumption? And what's the difference between all of these? And then, uh, more importantly, how does this sort of apply to the exam? Um, and that's the second bullet point. And that, and a lot of times we see this as kind of a drag and drop type scenario where they give us. Um, a bunch of different, uh, you know, sentences, if you will, on the right-hand side, and then on the left-hand side, we see risk, requirement, constraint, assumption, and it is matching, right? Drag and drop over to the right-hand side and figure out what it is. Okay, so uh, I'm going to test Ariel today. He didn't, he didn't know this was. I kind of told him it was coming, but he hasn't seen um, what course, I'm going to give him yet. Alex so. and Ron also chime in if they want to, of course. I mean, but Ron, that's not even that's not even fair. Um, <laughs> uh, he should get it right. I mean, you never know on the spot with the pressure. I don't yeah. know. I would probably be the one that's like, I don't know. Uh, but <clears throat> so we're gonna we're gonna do some practice here today, and then the last bullet point is analyze um, the impact of any kind of identified assumption or risk or constraint or even a requirement and how that impacts um, best practices. Okay, so I have an example of that at the end. So to kind of take a step back for a second, whenever we look at uh, the design process, there's a lot of different phases that make up this. And uh, you know, right now we're actually still in the assess phase. Um, so this is where we are kind of building out the conceptual model. We're trying to uh, you know, gather uh, information about requirements, any kind of um, compliance that we have to meet, any kind of constraints that we have. We're talking to our key stakeholders. Um, we're assessing the environment if it's brownfield. Uh, you know, we're, we're doing design workshops. We're really just trying to suss out what our business objectives are. How does this business make money? Where do we fit into this? And what does the customer want? 
right? And so we spend you know a bit of time here in the assessment phase, and then from there we start building out a logical uh, kind of set of diagrams, a logical solution, um, and that's where we start getting into that design phase. So even though right now we're talking about VCAP design, we're really still in the assessment phase. And then from there, after we have our design, we go through some validation pieces and making sure going back to the customer, does this meet your requirements, right? Did we meet the business objective? Did we meet these SLAs? And then going in and deploying that solution and then validating it, right? And <clears throat> notice that, you know, I've kind of tried to draw this out where it shows, yeah, we go assessment to design to deployment to validate. But in order for us to validate it, we have to go back to that deployment, right? And in order for us to deploy, we have to go back to that design. Um, and really, at the end of the day, everything ties back to our requirements. Are we meeting those requirements? Yes or no? Right? Do we meet these business objectives? And then, of course, down at the bottom, I have a note that talks about knowledge transfer and education. This is always happening, right? Because when we're going through this assessment and I'm asking these questions to our key stakeholders, I need to tell them, well, here's why I'm asking, right? And then when I'm showing them the design and I'm you know, making this proposal, I need to explain why I made some of these decisions, right? And same thing goes for when we're deploying it. Hey, if I told you to override the default setting, why? Right, and so it's just this ongoing process. So what we're doing <clears throat> is we are building out the conceptual model. Okay, so the, the big four things that we're talking about today are our requirements, constraints, assumptions, and risks. So our business requirement, this is something that we are trying to achieve, right? This is something that we need to do, we need to meet. Whereas a constraint is some kind of limiting factor, right? It's providing some kind of boundary to that design that's you know potentially going to keep us from meeting certain things an assumption is something that we don't really have a hundred percent confirmation on but we believe to be true uh, it's important for us to document these assumptions and by the time of deployment by the time we're going through and we're back to this you know deployment and validation period we should have validated these assumptions, right? So at the very end of the process, there should be zero assumptions and everything should be known. And a risk is, is something that we take. Um, so this may have a negative impact on the design. Uh, so we need to recognize what these risks are, document what these risks are, and try to mitigate them ideally everywhere, right? But, you know, if at all possible. So let's kind of dig in a little bit more. So a requirement. This is what we have to do in the project, right? And so if, if, if somebody does a very good job of documenting these requirements, you should be able to read these, uh, you know, 10 requirements or these 50 requirements um, and kind of be able to close your eyes a little bit and visualize what this solution or what this design should look like, right? So um, I gave two examples here. So the first one is the organization must comply with Sarbanes-Oxley regulations. Okay, so if you're not familiar um, with Sarbanes-Oxley, it's sometimes called SOX, and this is compliance for a publicly traded company um, to have some kind of internal control for financial reporting uh, in order to reduce fraud within this publicly traded company. So I'm starting to kind of get an idea. Okay, so we have to have some kind of internal controls for reporting. Okay. And then the second one is the underlying infrastructure needs to support a minimum of four nines of uptime, so 99.9%, .9%, right? So again, that's telling me, okay, so I can do some math. I can figure out what is the maximum allowable downtime in a year, right? I can figure, you know, even break that down and figure out, okay, what does that even mean in one month? So in order for me to reach this uptime, which for four nines is less than an hour, so in order for me to have less than an hour of downtime in one year, what do I need to do, right, for this unplanned downtime? So I need to have you know, redundancy at multiple levels, right? I'm starting to, again, visualize this. And we could keep going with more and more requirements, but at the end of the day, these are giving us an idea of visualization, even though it's written, of what this design should look like. And so in the next, uh, I believe it's the next one, I think it's objective 2.1, it talks about mapping requirements and mapping constraints to this logical design, right? So whenever your requirements are very well written, it makes that process of starting to do the logical design a lot easier because you can visualize it based off of what's written here. Now, <clears throat> this is just us defining what is a requirement. 
we actually have two different types of requirements. Okay, and this is again something that you may see as a drag and drop um, on on your VCAP. Okay, um, this could easily be here's a list of a bunch of requirements. Are they functional or are they non-functional? Okay, and this is also one of those kind of buzzwords that um, I like to hit uh, people that I'm mocking with. Um, it's it's whenever we're doing VCDX mocks, and this is something I got hit with, and I'll be perfectly honest, I had already passed my VCAP DCD on mocking for my VCDX, and someone hits me with, so is that functional or non-functional? And I just froze, right? So this is one of those things where you could easily see this on a VCAP, and you could easily, um, if you keep pursuing certification from that point forward, get on, hit on this, but this makes you also look smart in meetings, right? You go, well, that's actually a functional requirement of X, Y, and Z. So a functional requirement versus a non-functional. So a functional, um, this is something that specifies what that system must be able to do. Okay. So for example, um, SOC, so that Sarbanes-Oxley compliance, that's a functional requirement. PCI, HIPAA, right? something like that, that is a functional requirement. Um, the way I sort of think about it is your business cannot function you know, potentially legally without meeting this requirement, okay? So um, when it comes to audit or certification, um, I was in the military for a few years, and one of the things that we have to do for DOD systems, and they're changing this process, and I don't know what the new name of it is, but it, back, back then it was called DIACAP, and you would have to go through this massive certification process to ensure that this system and this design and this infrastructure met X, Y, and Z, requirements from the DOD. And this was um, one of those fun things where we would implement a system and it might take us six to 12 months to go live because we were waiting for the certification to happen. Okay, um, Historical data, right, or audit tracking, you might have a requirement that's a part of your industry or a part of your corporation or a parent company that says, for example, you have to keep uh, you know, financial data for X number of years. You have to keep all system logs for seven years. Or if it's user data, for example, this is VDI, and a user um, has quit their job or has been terminated, how long do I have to keep that user data? How long do I have to keep their emails once they've been terminated, right? Some kind of requirement like that, that would be functional. Whereas when we start using kind of more of our, our design qualities, or more of our description words, uh, these are describing not necessarily something that has to be able to do in terms of uh, a business rule or a business requirement. It's more of how it should look and how it should behave. So we hear things like, oh, well, it should quickly scale, right? Or it should not be monolithic. Or uh, we should have, for example, the SLA, four nines of uptime, right? That's how that system should behave when everything is functional. Right, that is a non-functional requirement, even though I just said when everything is functional. Um, I meant when the system is properly working, right? Um, let me, let me so same thing here with Because I, I tend sure. to notice what you mentioned about the design qualities. I see that they are all in the non-functional requirement column. Yes. So would that mean that normally, you know, are they the same thing or? Like if if, oh. I, if I'm thinking immediately, that sounds like AMPRS or I call it ramps. Does that mean we're talking non-functional things? When we think about ramps, uh, when it comes to recoverability, availability, manageability, performance, security, uh, and with security, that one can be functional, right? So if it is some kind of regulation or compliance or something like that, that would be a functional requirement. Whereas if you were saying, uh, for example, uh, you know. Uh, the system should practice defense in depth, right, or something like that. That's not any kind of industry standard. That's not something that the business is required to function um, within some kind of standardized practice. So in that case, it would be a non-functional requirement. But if I said you must adhere to PCI compliance, that is a functional requirement. So, so when it's very specific and it's something that I have to prove that I did, it might be functional, but when I'm talking about, you know, general good practice kind of things sounds like it would be non-functional right i would i would agree with that that sentiment yeah cool thank you uh, so no problem and so um, when it comes to like i mentioned slas uh, as well as slos 
right? So SLO is a service level objective. These are tied to performance. Uh, so you might say that you have to have X level of response time, right? Or if, again, like this is VDI, you might say um, a requirement is that a user should be able to log on within 30 seconds, okay? That would be a performance SLO, and that's going to be a non-functional requirement, okay? Awesome. And just reminding the people that are here in this live, if you have any questions you want to chime in, just bring up your hand, okay? Absolutely, yeah, butt in any time, especially because I know we've got a, another, another VCDX who's auditing me to make sure I say only, only the correct things, right? <laughs> um, constraint, on the other hand, this limits your design choice. Okay, so for me, that is the, that is the easiest way that I think about it. I think, because I'm going to show you on the next slide that sometimes we confuse requirements and constraints. Um, and that's something I see a lot in, in, in designs that I'm reviewing, or, you know, I see it on Twitter sometimes. I'm going to give you an example of this in just a second. But the way that I keep it straight is a requirement, right? So, for example, uh, I should meet four nines of uptime, right? That was one of the examples I gave. How do I do that, right? I have, you know, a number of choices here that I can make in order to meet that requirement. But if it is a constraint, I only have one choice, and it is whatever that constraint is. So I'm no longer able to make a design decision. My options have been taken away from me. There's only one choice. Okay, so the example that I give, and this is one of the most common ones we see that's a constraint, is due to some kind of pre-existing vendor relationship, uh, we already have hardware selected for us. Right? Because of my you know, relationship with Cisco, we're using UCS. Right? Or because we're a partner to whoever, right? we're going to go ahead and use this. Or um, we already have purchased this storage array. Uh, it's only a year old. It's still in our support and service. You're going to use it. Okay. I don't get to choose what that storage array is. I don't get to choose potentially my protocol. I don't get to make these design choices. So at that point, it is a constraint. Okay. Now here, here's the question I've always had about constraints. What if you negotiate mm -hmm. your way out of it? Do you still list it as a constraint, or do you say, do you do you finally, when you finally make your presentation and uh, and everything? Do you just include it as part of your negotiation or discovery phase? So it all comes back to justification, right? So um, if, for example, we're going with like this one, right? So I uh, made sure it was okay with Fred before I put him on blast like this. Um, but he tweeted this out a few months ago, and, 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 I, and I, I remember, and I responded, but I, I just sit there and watched on Twitter all these different responses, and... Um, it was funny because I looked through and there's several VCDXs that responded and, and quite a few people that were not VCDXs. And I think every single VCDX responded constraint. But then with the non-VCDX group, it was split almost 50-50 of people saying constraint or requirement. So here it says the design must leverage the company's existing investment in HP ProLiant Blade servers. Okay, That is a constraint. I have to use it. Okay, It says I must leverage this existing investment. So I have to use it. That is a constraint. I don't get to make that choice. Now, to kind of go back to what you were saying, Ariel, there might be wiggle room here. Now, this is a constraint. I'm going to use it, but I might still have more budget. So we might do all the calculations and figure out how much resource I need and figure out that there is not enough CPU or enough memory or enough whatever being provided by these blades. And I might need to purchase more compute nodes. Okay. Now, at that point, what can I choose? Okay. Now, if it's something very generic, like, hey, again, like on my previous slide, the host hardware's already been selected. Now, if they're telling me, hey, you can choose whatever you want, but because of our relationship with HP, it has to be HP. Okay. So then you, you can have a little bit of wiggle room, but that this one right here is specifically still a constraint because I don't get to make that choice. Right. Now, that doesn't mean I can't buy more resources right? Um, later on. right? It all goes back to what is the customer allowing? What kind of budget do I have? right? Where's that wiggle room? right? But I would still document it as a constraint. Assumptions. Okay. Um, so 
an assumption is something that we, we believe to be true, but we don't actually have any proof. Okay. Now, again, as I'm going through and I'm gathering information from my customer, I might ask them questions, right? I might say, do we know if we add two more racks of servers in the server room if we're going to have enough power? Right? And they might say, well, we think so. Okay. I need to write that down as an assumption. They don't know for 100% sure. I don't know for 100% sure we think so, but we don't really know. So I'm going to write that down as an assumption. Okay? Or, hey, so between sites, right, if we've got multi-site infrastructure, do we have enough bandwidth between sites to do synchronous replication? Right? Now, again, I might ask this generic question. They might go, yeah, we think so, or yes, but we're not sure, or we'd have to double check with the networking guy, or something like that. Well, I still need to document that as an assumption. Now, by the end of the design process, like I mentioned earlier, we should have no assumptions. Okay? Now, I still document them. I still have them, but I've gone through at some point by the time the design is actually implemented, and I've ensured that there are no assumptions. Okay? So all of these are things that can be checked. We just don't necessarily have the ability to check it or the right person in the room or the permissions or whatever at the time of writing, right, or the time that we've identified this. But every single one of these, right, so I've got three examples. One of them is we use, uh, you know, the data center uses core networking hardware across production, non-production infrastructures. Again, I might not have the right person in the room where I say, do I have a separate network infrastructure for things that are production and non-production? And we go, no, we don't think so. We think it's shared networking. And I go, okay, I need to go double check that. Right. Same thing with the bottom policy. It says security policies dictate server separation between DMZs and internal. That might be a question that I asked. So do we have separate security policies and do we have separate hardware between the DMZ and things that are internal? Let me go, yeah, we think so. Again, I'm going to write that down as an assumption and go back and validate that. Bandwidth. Um, that's one of the ones that we, I see a lot. Bandwidth, cooling, um, space. Right, just literal space consumption within the data center. Okay, um, these are things that we assume to be true, but we don't really know. But that's a really important piece, and I'm going to say the same thing with risks on the next slide. But it's going back and actually validating it. Okay? And this is where where the VCDX or or the designer uh, puts on their project management hat because they have to track who actually said this, so I so I can say that it was authoritative, right? Yeah, absolutely. Um, and, and, and so I might have this belief, but I need to go and find, track down the right person and validate this and make it, you know, a fact. The fact is that we share networking resources between prod and non-prod, right? Great. That's now a fact. I can remove that as an assumption, but before I didn't know, right? Because again, during these design workshops or during these meetings, I might just not have the right person in the room. So I write it down and I go back and I validate it. Right? And it's kind of the age-old adage here where what do we say about assuming things, right? Uh, it makes an ass out of you and me, yep. right? So we don't want to assume anything. We're going to document it as assumed, but we're going to go back and we're going to validate it. And a risk, okay? Now, sometimes when you're doing your initial sort of conceptual design where you're writing all this stuff down and we're talking to customers, we may not have many risks, to be honest. But as we're going through and we're making design decisions, that's where we're going to go back and evaluate and go, oh, this was a risk, right? Um, and we need to document that. Now, every risk that we have, right, so a risk, of course, could prevent us from achieving whatever it is we're trying to achieve, okay? Um, some kind of, you know, risk that we took and we need to go back and we need to mitigate it. Um, so we need to have some kind of mitigation here. Now, so for example, it says the organization's main data center contains only a single core router. That's a single point of failure. That's a risk. How can I mitigate this? Any ideas, Ariel? I mean, honestly, that's a tough one because many organizations will tell you, you know, it's not in the budget to actually set up a redundant core. Um, so there, there could be a, quite a number of solutions, but... Honestly, it, it, for me, it's a tough one. I was, I was actually wondering what you were going to say. Yeah, I mean, there's a couple of things here. So we could go back to, like, the support and service contract um, of that piece of hardware where we could ensure that, for example, if this is a Cisco router, that we have support from Cisco that's going to replace, you know, rip and replace this router within X amount of time. If this is Colo, 
right? Because um, it just says the organization's main data center. I don't know, based off of this, right? I made this up this afternoon. <laughs> this could be my data center, or this could be coloed, right? So if this is a colo, we could put the onus here on the data center and ensure in our contract with that data center, right, if they own that router, right, for external access, that the onus is on them if that failure were to occur, what kind of support can we expect and what amount of time can we expect, right? Because we need to make sure that that fits within our SLA. Yeah, it's a, it's a um, tough one, honestly, because even, even if yeah. you have, like, four-hour support, I would I would ask my provider to put in writing that they have the part, you know, near me or something. Absolutely, right? Like, you need to make sure that that's guaranteed, and that's going to be something that you would really want to hound someone, right, on. Uh, another one that I put on here is, hey, you know, based off of X, Y, and Z and all our requirements and all this information that we gathered, we've determined that NFS storage is going to be the best the, you know, the best fit for what we're doing. And it might even be the, the lowest cost, right? And that might be why it's the best fit. But the problem is our existing storage administrators don't have any NFS experience, right? That's a risk because sure. they don't know potentially what they're doing, right? So how do we mitigate this risk? Well, one of the things I would say is, well, you know, for example, if we're going from iSCSI to NFS, well, it's already TCP IP, right? So we have some fundamentals with IP storage, especially on the vSphere side of things, but um, education, right? We need to ensure that we're teaching these storage administrators as we're going through this implementation, and we, you know, if the budget allows for it, send them to an actual class for this hardware vendor, right, or to get some fundamental training on NFS, right? But we need to mitigate these risks. Are you ready, Ariel? I sure am. And just to let All you right. know, Mike Mike Martino from New York, uh, VMUG, also joined. So I'm going to go ahead and open the, the mics for Alex and Mike. So in case that they want to participate as well, we can do it. Excellent. So we'll go down the list. So, uh, you know, this is honestly something that you really could see on, uh, you know, the, the VCAP. So, of course, it will be drag and drop, probably. Um, but you might absolutely have these descriptions on the right-hand side, and then on the left-hand side have requirement, assumption, constraint, risk, and then you have to match, right? Mm -hmm. So the first one is the design should provide a centralized management console to manage both data centers. That, to me, is a requirement. Do we all agree with, with Ariel? And and, and this is this is one that that I know, like for example, I know that risk can can you you can have things that can also be a risk. I mean, it can be a constraint and a risk or something like that. But but for me, this sure. is a straight up requirement. I agree with you. Right, that's a requirement because it didn't tell me what that console was. Right? If it said, for example, the design should use X, Y, and Z console to manage both data centers, what well, brand X, Y, and Z is told to me, I don't get to decide what that console is, then it would be a constraint, mm -hmm. right? But you're right, because here it doesn't tell me anything specific, it just says, hey, we need to have some kind of centralized management. We go, okay, we'll do that, that's and, a requirement. And I would even say that's a functional requirement. No. Why would you say it's functional? Well, because it's, there's a very specific thing that has to be um, met in my requirement, and it's, we're not talking just, you know, an overall quality. We're talking about a person has to be able to sit down and be able to manage his, both his data centers from one place. You know, but wouldn't that be manageability? Wouldn't that be a non-functional requirement? Mm, I get, I, I get what you're saying because they're not being more specific about it. Yeah, if there was some kind of um, corporate policy or industry standard, you know, or some kind of requirement there that did say, yes, you have to have a single pane of glass, um, then I would agree with you. But in this case, uh, you know, we don't really know the industry. Um, and as far as I know, there's no uh, so it would compliance. So under manageability. I would call this a non-functional requirement for manageability. Awesome. Thank you. Yeah. Um, and I could be wrong, so, you know, tweet me and tell me I'm dumb. I'm, I'm happy to, <laughs> to hear it. Um, okay, so the next one, the customer provides sufficient storage capacity for building the environment. That's an assumption, and that's a risk. <laughs> <laughs> well, ideally it's not a risk because ideally we go back and we validate it, right? Mm -hmm. We ensure that there is, we do the math, we go and determine, right, that we do have sufficient, and then at that point it right. should be good. 
I, right? I think, I I think that see- would, if I had to say one thing, it would be assumption. But until it's confirmed, in the back of my mind, it's a risk. I would agree that with that, yeah. I mean, I don't disagree, right? Because me going, hey, the customers, the customers providing storage, and they said it's enough, right? I'm already like, uh, that's a little <laughs> scary, right? So I don't disagree with that. But uh, so we were saying assumption, though. Any any naysayers? Da da da. All right, you're two for two, Ariel. Can't next, keep it up. Next time we have next one, we have to call out either Alex or Mike for them to answer. For. <laughs> All right. So the next one is the storage infrastructure must use existing EMC storage arrays for this project. Constraint. It is a constraint. You pass. All right. The next one says the platform should be able to function with project growth of 20% per year. I'm going to give that a requirement. I would say so. Now, this is just me personally, right? Um, but the way I write requirements versus me writing a constraint. Oh no, I'm gonna wait till the end because I don't want to give away any answers. Uh, oh, oh, I almost, but, oh, I almost helped you. But I but I do that. agree that this is worded kind of weird, uh, just because you know growth can be anything. So you know, is it network growth? Is it storage growth? Is it what are we? What exactly are we meaning with growth? I would definitely I agree. have more that more crisply defined. I agree with you 100%, and to be perfectly honest, I was just trying to keep it from being uh, – I was just trying to keep it to fit on one slide. <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah, good. <laughs> so we're just saying 20% year-over-year growth, right? Um, but normally there would be more details, like number one, how many years, and then what, what kind of growth, right? Um, so if they say something generic like this, just project growth for 20% per year, I'm just going to go ahead and assume – all resources, right? But then again, I would have to document that as an assumption, right? I just said, I, I guess, that it would be all resources. Exactly. Okay, so this is where we get down the slippery slope of, isn't everything sort of one of these? Um, so then the next one is, Active Directory is available on both sites. Do we give it to Alex? I think Alex answered the last one. So it should, it should be Mike. Assumption. It is an assumption. At first, I thought you said function. I was like, mm, I'm deaf. But uh, yeah, assumption. Multiple assumption. Yep. All right. So, the should leverage and integrate existing directory services. So, kind of building off the last, the last point. What do you think this one is, Ariel? Uh, this is a requirement. It's specifically telling me that this has to do something with whatever we have. Uh, I also think that at that moment you're ask, asking what exactly are the existing directory services, you know, and and that may become a risk, a constraint, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. Uh, I mean, it goes back to what are we tying into our directory service, right? How does it use that directory service? It might be. I mean, at this point, we definitely don't have enough information to to speak in those sweeping terms, right? Besides just to look at this and go, yep, it's a requirement. Mm-hmm. Uh, but you, you know, you, you absolutely could be right depending on the scope of that project. Okay, the next one is both server racks are subject to the same environmental hazards. Wow. Uh, I guess that's a constraint. Uh, in in the I, that 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 will be my first filing option because uh, they're telling me that this this is what it is right, but as as soon as I figure out what they mean exactly by hazard and not just same environment, that's probably a risk. I I classified it as a risk, right? And and because of the way it's written here, we just said, hey, we've got multiple server or two server racks, both, and they're subject to the same hazard. Um, so in my mind, these are like two server racks right next to each other, right? Um, <clears throat> now, you mentioned, is it a constraint? And here I would say no, necessarily, because we're not necessarily being told that we have to use these server racks. We might have chosen to use these server racks, uh-huh. right? We don't, we don't know the full context. We might have said these are the best two server racks because, for example, here, um, the, we need two full server, we need two full server racks, and these are the only ones that are, 
empty, right? So we'd rather have, you know, this is just an example. We might, in this case, rather have two full server racks rather than spreading this workload across eight, right? Um, again, this is me just giving an example because, we, again, we might make the design decision. Actually, no, we would rather spread it across eight different server racks, right? But we don't know all the details here, but with just this one bullet statement, uh, I would say it's a risk, right? Because we may have purposely chosen this. Got it. Awesome. All right. Uh, BCDR plans are going to be updated to include new hardware and workloads. Do we give it to Alex? Sure. Because it says will be, would that be an assumption? I would say so. Right, because you know this is one of those things where we're implementing these new workloads, we're in implementing these new systems, and we're going to say, you know, we already have, for example, um, a manual runbook, or we already have an automated runbook, or we already have some kind of DR solution, and we're making this assumption here that hey, when we add these new systems, somebody's going to go back and update those plans, right? The next one, SLA is 99 percent. All right, that sounds to me straight up requirement you're not giving me any wiggle room you're telling me that's it but then again here here's how i think it could be <laughs> I, I just love doing these because i i always think that there's a little bit of something else in there um that's if they tell me the sla is 99 percent uptime right i also view it that they're not asking me you know when, when they when in that particular statement they're not asking me to design for 99% uptime they're telling me that that's the SLA in the environment or the service that they're providing okay so that's where I uh, right because you have to remember they they might be guaranteeing this uptime to their customers right mm -hmm. um, so again this is just a very generically written statement mm -hmm. um, as an example but um, they may be providing some kind of service, and that, you know, they might guarantee, uh, for example, 98% uptime there. So then we need to have our uptime exceed that. So our exactly. uptime now is 99%, or something like that. So, right? so I'm thinking that 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 requirement for my design will be. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Mm -hmm. Oh, I'm giving answers away. Dang it. Um, so external access must be through the standard corporate VPN client, right? So at that point, uh, since I gave away the answer here, that is a constraint. Um, there are multiple methods for external access into an environment. Um, so by them telling me that we have to use, you know, for example, my company, uh, TechnoCloud's corporate VPN client, I don't get to choose what method of external access. I don't get to make a design decision. Therefore, it's a constraint. And the next one is having vMotion traffic and VM data traffic on the same physical network can lead to security vulnerability because vMotion is clear text by default. And it's a little bit longer one here. What is this? I mean, assuming that this is a statement that my customer is giving me, He's making it sound, he already has an idea of, uh, I mean, this is not really a, a requirement in the sense that he's telling me I want segregated different uh, networks. He, it, you know, the solution could be just encrypt the traffic, but I think he's telling me I know this is a risk more than he's telling me that this is a requirement that I want you to go ahead and fix. Right now, remember that these risks or these assumptions or these you know potentially constraints aren't being worded exactly as such by the customer right so one of the skills for you as an architect is to decipher the things that they say and classify it right so they may not come uh, you know uh, d directly to me and say you know what uh, we need to have this 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 platform function and we need to have 20% growth each year for five years and we need to make sure that that's okay they may not say that in so many words right these may be things that I have to kind of pull out of them like they may just say something like hey you know which the platform should scale because we're plan you know we're planning on growing right we're, we're not this this should this project you know the budgets only good for five years um, 
and we're going to be growing in that five years, right? So again, they're starting to say things. I'm going, okay, well, now what questions do I need to ask, mm -hmm. right? So they, they drop the five years, so I go, okay, now I know that we're projecting growth over a five-year span, and I'm going to ask them how much growth, right? So that now they might say, um, well, it's going to be 20% growth, and then, again, I need to pull more information out of them. So is it 20% growth total? over five years, or is it 20% each year for five years, right? right. Yeah. Does that make sense? So they may not come out and say that, but it's up to me to pull that data out of them. Um, same thing like this risk, they, the customer may have never ever said this, right? But they may have said something along the lines of, you know, well, we don't, we don't have the need to air gap our networks. We don't have the need for physical separation. Um, we are using fiber channels, so our, our storage traffic may be already physically separated, but all of our TCP IP traffic, you know, it's going to be using the same physical network. Well, they didn't say this risk, right? But they've said a lot of things. Now I can discern from this, like, okay, well, security is your number one priority, but you're not using physical separation and you're not air gapping. And so if I'm placing vMotion and VM traffic together, right, because that might be my design decision to place them on the same virtual switch, you know, um, that are going to connect to the same two, you know, if we've got two uplinks, same two physical switches, and so on. Now that means we're sharing that, that, that traffic over the same physical network. That's right. a risk. That would be something right? terrible, for example, to have your management network be the same as the vMotion network, but your customer did say, at some point that they were worried about security <laughs> and you just did the worst case scenario design. I wouldn't say that's necessarily the worst case scenario, right? But uh, at that point you've made a design decision and that design decision, like you just said, was place management and vMotion together, right? Now what's the risk of that? Well, that anybody so, can loop. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So um, when, you, when you go through, if you're really analytical and, and, and to an extent kind of critical, you can go through every design decision you make and really pull risks out of it, right? Because by you choosing option A, what are you losing by not choosing B and C, right? So there's always, and so it depends on how much you want to really go through and document um, your risks. I've seen, uh, you know, and I'm sure Ron can, can jump in and say the same thing. Like I've seen people submit for VCDX and only have 10 documented risks. And I'll be honest, like I didn't have that many documented risks, maybe 15, and I was going through and preparing for my VCDX and I realized like I had maybe another 15 risks or 20 risks that I just didn't document, that I didn't necessarily pull out and realize at that time. But on the flip side, I've also seen a VCDX submission um, and this guy documented like 50 or 60 risks. Um, so it just kind of goes back to how analytical you are because the customer is not necessarily going to say, it's a risk that we only have a single site. <laughs> they might just say, you know, we only have a single site. And then I have to, in my mind, I should have these little buzzers going off being like, risk, 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 right? Okay. And I need to, to document it as such. Awesome. Okay. So. I can totally get how you get 50 risks, you know, just thinking about it. <laughs> yeah. E easily. Um, you know, and it was, uh, <laughs> and you know, to... I don't know, it just kind of goes back to being a little bit more analytical and kind of self-critical there. Like, my biggest risk in my design for VCDX, I didn't document as a risk. <laughs> and as I was going through and preparing for my defense the second time, I was like, oh, crap. <laughs> that's, that's a massive risk that I took, and I did not document it as such. So, of course, in the defense, I was like, hey, that's a big risk. Um, and made sure, like, hey, I know this. I'm just an idiot and didn't write it down. Um, Okay, so I should have probably like, I don't know, animated this, not shown you everything at once, but the third kind of bullet point, the third thing that we have to hit for this um, objective was analyze the impact of best practices to identified risk constraints assumptions, okay? So <clears throat> I broke this down to a couple of things. Um, the constraint here is there's no budget for the project. So everything must be reused from existing hardware. Okay, we've got no budget at all. So then we're going through, we're looking at the hardware, the hardware that we've chosen to reuse, the ESXiOS, they only have one HBA and it's single port. Okay, so that's a risk, right? Um, 
Now, you could sit here and rearrange words and kind of go, well, it's kind of a constraint too. Well, it could be, right? But the constraint was, you know, there's no budget. We could really make this two constraints. Constraint one is there's no budget. Constraint two is all hardware must be reused. Okay, well then the hardware that's been chosen for reuse, because I might have had two options and I chose option A, well, it has a single port HBA. Okay, option B may have not been any better, right? but it may have compromised in some other angle. So this HBA now is a single point of failure. Okay, that's the impact of this design decision I make, and I took this risk by choosing this hardware for reuse. How do I mitigate this? Right? So obviously having a single point HBA and only having one HBA here, that, that's, that, that's, I would argue, not best practice. Right? I, I would ideally have redundancy at all, at all points, and I don't. So how do I mitigate that? Okay. Uh, so here I just wrote for an example, N plus one hosts. You might go and have N plus two or N plus ten. I don't know. It just depends on your SLA. You would definitely have redundancy at the host level, so that way if that HBA fails, that host is now out of commission because I can't access storage. But guess what? We can fail over to other ESXi hosts in that cluster. Another way that you could mitigate this is by simply having extra HBAs on the shelf. Okay. We only have single port. We've only have four extras. We've got 24 ESXi hosts, so I can't go through and necessarily make every host redundant. But I can have these four extras ready and available in the event that we have an HBA failure, right? So it's kind of tying things all together. Now we kind of skip the making the design decision part, and that's because that's next week, um, I believe, with with section two one. I think Paul Craddock is, I believe, the presenter, and he's going to be going through and talking about pulling the stuff out of the conceptual model and applying it to logical, right? So how do we make these logical designs? So that I'll kind of play into it more. We have to analyze the impact of every decision you make, right? And how do these tie back to your risks, your requirements, your consumption, or your assumptions, and your constraints, right? Awesome. So uh, a couple of additional resources since we're talking about uh, requirements versus constraints. I showed you like the tweet that Fred Hoffer put out where he said, hey, is this a requirement or is this a constraint? That is not the, you know, the first time that, uh, that we, we've seen that, and that's not going to be the last time because that tends to be where we look at them, we go, okay, that's a risk, that's an assumption, and then when it comes to requirements and constraints, sometimes they walk a very kind of fine line. Um, so Jason Shiplett, he's got a great blog post on whether it's a requirement or constraint, right? So if you need to kind of refresh that. And then um, Paul McSherry recently just uh, posted a, a wonderful blog post on um, risk management, right? So identifying risks and mitigating them, right? So that's uh, pretty in-depth for your VCAP TCD, uh, but it's still a good place to look if you've got any questions on, on, on risk management. And, and you know that's yeah. great that you're. <laughs> that's good. Uh, it's great that you're you're pointing people to VCDX resources because normally they're more fleshed out, and sometimes it's just about getting into the minute details of why of when to choose one over the other. So right. I really appreciate that. Yeah, I mean, I don't know. I, I I'm a big fan of Paul McSherry um, <laughs> uh, personally, but every time I read something that he writes, I'm just like, ugh. One day I hope to be as smart as him. Um, but I was reading his risk management thing, and I was like, man, that's that's really in-depth. It's really, really well thought out blog post that he he, he did. Um, so I'll turn it over to any any questions. And I had to, of course, use a Mindy Kaling in the office mm -hmm. meme here, little gif. <laughs> uh, so, well, Alex and Mike have the mic open. I, I honestly, I think I, I, th I think I... I feel like I got a you know one to one training here, so I'm I'm good. <laughs> any questions I had, I, I I put them out there. But if Alex and Mike have any other questions, okay. The the one thing I will say is um, being able to quickly identify these things. It really just comes with with practice, um, and that's something like not to sound like a crazy person, but I would just practice alone in my office, you know, like I would kind of go through the design scenarios um, and, and I would read, like, so, I, you know, I had a copy of, uh, you know, for example, um, some of the people in my, my study group, I had copies of their designs because we all read each other's designs, we're familiar with each other's designs, we're mocking together, and there was mistakes that I made, 
right? We classify sometimes thing as something as a requirement when it wasn't. Um, I, you know, and I actually had uh, Ron. <laughs> I sent him my design, and he immediately goes, "So can you explain requirement number?" I don't know what it was, eight to me, and I was like, yeah, that's not a requirement. That was a design decision. I'm an idiot, right? Um, so you find a lot of times mistakes that you make after submission, and so same thing goes with some of my peers. We would send each other documents, and I would go through, and I would just practice reading it. And I would go, okay, yes, that's a requirement. Yes, that's a requirement. Actually, you have this listed as a requirement, but it's actually a constraint. So I would just have to go through and just practice kind of reading other people's stuff and, and doing it. Um, <laughs> You know, kind of alone, as crazy as that sounds, but just just going through and, and practicing quickly identifying, right? Because that's, I think, always the hardest part about the VCAP is you don't have the longest amount of time to do it, right? And you probably want to spend most of your time in the designs. Mm -hmm. And when it comes to something like requirement, um, constraint, assumption, and risk mapping, that's probably going to be a drag and drop, right? So you probably don't want to spend 25 minutes on a drag and drop trying to identify if something is a requirement or not, right? So it's just something that takes practice to, to, to do it quickly. Yep, and it, it is a massive change from, you know, drag and drop to suddenly you're being grilled about it by your peers or in the defense. <laughs> yes, but I mean that skill trend, you know, it, I'm, not, I'm not personally a big fan of drag and drops, but um, if you can do it quickly, being able to do it in the defense quickly really matters as well, right? When Especially when you're doing the design scenario and you've got the, the panel acting as a customer, you need to be able to quickly pull information from them and classify it in the right box, right? Oh, no, that's a constraint. Oh, no, that's a requirement. Without having to sit there and be like, hmm, let me theorize on this for a second, right? Yeah. Just like I did. <laughs> <laughs> it's okay. I, I, I sometimes... You know, sometimes you'll still get ones that are really tricky where you'd be like, requirement, constraint, requirement, requirement, constraint. And then you'll get one you're like, ooh, let me think about that, you know. So. All right. I mean, this was an awesome session. I really thank you, Rebecca. And uh, I think we're done here. Uh, anything else you want to? Um, no, I, th I think that's it, right? Those are, those are the additional resources. Uh, just try to make like a blog post. I, To be honest, I don't even know what your blog is. But, Me neither. <laughs> but uh, if we can if we can make like a little posting of any other things, I mean you you listed them here. So what I'll do is I'll put them in the be brown back post when we release the yep. video, and that'll be Sounds it. Sounds good. All right, everybody watching, remember you can always reach out to Rebecca and Twitter and have ask her. You know, is this a requirement? It's a constraint. I bet she loves that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's my favorite. <laughs> All right, I'll start the recording. Thank you, Rebecca. All right, no problem.